Welcome to How I Made That, a show about the people in and around the game industry and the things they make. My guest this episode is Ty Galesro, the founder and editor-in-chief of the website Uppercut Crit. Uppercut is, quite easily, one of the coolest and best sites in video games right now, going the extra mile to amplify diverse writers and writing and advocate for freelancers and making sure they get paid. I've kind of looked up to Ty for a while and really admire the way they use their platform to fight for things they believe in in this industry. So it was an honor to sit down and chat for a while about where Uppercut came from, why diversity in the game press is so important, and why a lot of sites are dropping the ball in that regard, and what's next for Uppercut. Enjoy our chat. Ty, thank you so much for being on How I Made That. How are you? Yeah, thanks for having me, Blake. I'm good. How are you? I'm great. I have three to four pages of questions for you, which I think is more than I write for the majority of like my articles. <laughs> I went wild writing questions today. That's, that's many, but I'm ready. <laughs> and I got a ton of listener questions, which is what I want to start with. I have two extremely similar ones that I'm going to ask at the top. They come from Ken Shepard and Aiden Strawn. Respectively, they are, what's it like to be the absolute coolest? And how are you so fucking unapologetically cool? I see that's so funny because I don't think I'm that cool. Like I'm like a walking, talking Muppet. So, <laughs> um, like, you know, have you seen that meme where it's like the, like the gay is going to brunch and it's like the Kirby and the hat and boots and then like Gonzo in a ridiculous shirt. Like that's yeah. me. Like I am Gonzo in the gay group. So I don't really think of myself as that cool. I'm just kind of like a dad core Muppet. Um, but I guess if you're just like really into being a dad core Muppet, then yeah, I'm pretty cool. You said a second ago, you're like a walking, talking Muppet. And I want to, I want to dig into that really quick because I feel like if we get into the Muppet lore, Muppets are walking, talking Muppets. That's true. I think I can walk by myself, I guess. Okay. Wait, is that in the lore? I, this is in the weeds, but is that in the lore of the Muppets that they are being like puppeteered? I don't know. I genuinely don't. I feel like no, but but like we know they're puppets. Well, okay, but like I feel like you have to give them some amount of credit. Like, yeah, what's the, you yeah, have to I suspend guess, your disbelief. I guess in that case, I'm just like a person-sized Muppet because I believe in the canon of Muppet, human beings are like proportionally larger <laughs> than Muppets. <laughs> so uh, let's get into the real questions. I feel like it's too easy to fall down a path of, like, a three-hour Muppet, like, spoiler cast <laughs> that analyzes wh whether they're real or not within the lore of the universe. So let's get into the questions about Uppercut and you instead. I'm ready. Let's do it. I get, like, how did you get interested in thinking critically about games? Because that's, like... When you kind of think about that as a career path, that's a very interesting thing to want to do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, I kind of fell into it. Like, not really. I chose to do it, but, like, I went to university for um, English Lit. So, you know, I mm -hmm. had the whole crit, like, analysis, like, basic theory stuff. Um, and then my like junior year of college I started getting back into video games um and started listening to like 
you know, the big usual stuff, like kind of funny and like IGN and all that stuff. And um, right. I was like, this is cool. I didn't know people could like do this as a job. Um, I like hadn't really thought about it. And so then I was like, huh, that might be cool. And then I just kind of started pursuing it and then one of the like personalities I followed was like yeah the only way to get into the industry is to just do it because you can't like have a portfolio or a resume if you're not doing it so I started my like well it's weird because it's technically a different site but like it's what became Uppercut um but yeah Mm -hmm. so I started that my little blog and then you know just kind of went from there I was talking about my first blog with someone today and I've made the conscious decision not to delete it to like keep it on the internet is yours still out there i think it is we're not like paying for the hosting on it anymore though because like we pay for the hosting for uppercut um so i don't really know what it's doing i would have to look are you uh, is it a blog you're willing to share so people can see the genesis yeah so it used to some people like who follow us probably remember it because like all of the team was technically part of it um okay but uh yeah your geeky gal pal um it started with just me and then i brought the other folks on and then we were like you know probably a good idea to rebrand and so then we did that when 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 you got into, or when you started thinking about these things, like you mentioned listening to Kind of Funny and IGN, mm-hmm. was was your idea like, oh, I'll be whatever the proto-game journalist is? Or did you have some semblance of an idea that, like, criticism is what you were interested in? Oh, no, I had no idea. So I definitely originally was like, oh, I want to work at IGN, which, like, there's nothing wrong mm. with working at IGN, but, like, that's not, like, what I want to do now. Um, sure. But, like, I did think, like, oh, I'll be, like, a, you know, like, an editor at IGN or whatever. Um, but then actually it was like finding people like Dia and Austin Walker and like those people and like finding out about Waypoint when that was still a thing. Um, and like seeing that and I was like, oh, like this can be more of like what I studied in the school. And like, you can look at games in this way that's like really interesting. And that like scratches so much more of an itch in my brain. Like, okay, cool. Let's kind of pursue that. Um, and then there was, you know, room in the space for it, so. Yeah, aside from Waypoint, what were some of the sites you were reading? Um, I was reading a lot of Gita Jackson stuff back when she was a Kotaku. Um, sure. I read, like, every single thing Austin Walker wrote on his old blog, uh, Clockwork, Clockwork Worlds. Uh, okay, before I, Giant Bomb? Yeah, I read, like, okay. every Cam Kunzelman piece that existed <laughs> Sure. that wasn't, like, his academic stuff. Um, yeah. Let's see. Yeah, I read most of Dia's, like, medium stuff. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. I read, like, a lot of the people who were in, like, that generation of critics, which is, I think, like, mm-hmm. technically before us, but... Or, like... Yeah. I don't know. The timing is weird. I don't know, but... Did you did you ever get super into Kill Screen? Because that was the site that kind of like did the same thing for me, and I ended up writing for them a little bit. I actually but... never read Kill Screen. Oh wow! Yeah. You should. I, it's weird because uh, the the guy who runs it, who I won't name here, uh, sometimes forgets to pay to host his own site, which I think is his <laughs> source of income. So it's like a hit and miss on any given week if you can read the old legacy articles on there. But every now and then he'll actually pay to host his site for a little bit and you can go read the old archives. I definitely recommend it. That's so funny. Okay. You you mentioned your blog. I mean, what was the, was the goal just to have a portfolio at that time? Yeah, I guess the goal was just to like try it out and see. And then like, 
I I'm entirely like I don't know self-taught I guess in that like mm-hmm. I don't I didn't go to like journalism school or anything um so a lot of my career has just been me kind of figuring things out as I go um yeah so that's pretty much what the blog was it was just like I'm just gonna try to write about video games and see what happens for you personally what about video games seemed like a worthwhile thing to analyze or critique as opposed to you know literature or films like why video games specifically um i don't really like film um (laughs) sure i i don't know i'm just like not like a much of a movie person um and i got really sick of books from school um and video games have always just been something that i've like enjoyed kind of in the background of my life and i kind of just you know come back to them off and on and i mean i've definitely been on with them in the past while um i Mm. guess but yeah, it was just, like, always something I enjoyed, and then um, around when I started listening to Waypoint and stuff, you know, I got, I found out about Itch, and I found out about games like Butterfly Soup and stuff like that, and I was like, oh, wow, like, games are different than, like, the last time I was really paying attention to them, and, like, they can be all these things that I didn't really think about, and that's really exciting, so. Yeah, I've never played Butterfly Soup. What was it about that specific one that attracted you to it? It's, so, it's, like, this really cute like very funny well-written visual novel about these like um asian american girls who are i think they're freshmen in high school and it's just them Mm. learning about like themselves and queerness and all this stuff and it was just like the first time i saw a game like actually depict like people of color and like queer people in a way that just felt really real and like it doesn't shy away from like shit being hard like it talks about like the uh what was it like I think it was it talks about like the 2008 election and like marriage equality and stuff and like some of the parents are kind of shitty but it's not like about like queerness being sad or hard like and it was just really nice and cute it's also very funny so (laughs) sure there's like were there any other oh there's just a moment where they play the Titanic theme song on a recorder and it's great were there any other games that like were similar for you or you found like they were early inspirations to kind of critique them? Um, Yeah, I think, like, most of the stuff, like, I started my blog in 2017, and that was, like, a pretty solid year of games for me. Like, because it was, that was the year, I'm pretty sure that was the year the Butterfly Soup came out. And then that was also, like, Pyre, that was also Night in the Woods. Mm. Um, I think that was Wolfenstein 2 as well, which, like, now I have very different feelings on than I did then, but, like, you know, it was clearly like a very politically charged game even if now i maybe have different feelings on how it executed that sure um and so i think there was just like a lot of stuff to kind of like play with you know what what are the things you i'm a college dropout so this is like definitely (laughs) completely foreign to me like when you're approaching like criticism in a professional capacity or writing capacity what are you drawing on from what you learned in school? I mean, is it just the same set of rule, uh, same set of skills, or like? Um, I think this is actually like kind of an issue in games media in general. Is there's a difference between like what we think of as literary crit and like mm. <sighs> there are people who are doing games crit as literary crit or like in that same fashion, but there's yeah. also like kind of. A weird thing that I don't know if it happens in other like media around other stuff just because like I don't know I'm not in those spaces but like we have a thing that's like 
I don't know. It's like 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 thinking about like my monster fucking article, right? That's not crit, but like mm-hmm. it's not a feature either. I didn't interview anybody. You know, like there's just we have like these weird like in between things and so like when I'm doing like crit crit I do kind of try to approach it I guess from what I learned and you know like what I've learned from some of the people who have you know talked to me um as far as you know you have to have evidence from the text um Mm -hmm. that's always the main thing it's just like if you have a point you have to be able to prove it so yeah and you have to be able to prove it with stuff from what you're pulling from which you know in this case is the games but I think games and also like running my own site does kind of give me the freedom to like play around where like sometimes it's crit but also it's kind of a shit post Uh, (laughs) sure yeah so yeah i don't know it's funky i mean what are the things like games afford a writer uniquely to other media or just like necessitate different ways of critiquing it or analyzing it than you might a book or a tv show or a movie I think it's, like, the fact that, like, I think every everybody experiences media differently, right? Like, everybody's, like, right. like you and I could watch a movie and have two different reads on it. But, like, mm. I think games make it a lot easier to see that just because, you know, like, we have all of the different kinds of games and, like, not to be that person, but you do have the interactivity aspect of it. And, like, you know, sure. if, there's, if there's any form of player choice. I mean, like, that was the big draw of Telltale for a long time, right? It was, like, ooh, what did mm. you do versus what did I do? And you could even, like, measure your stats against other people and stuff. Um, and so I think, like, games, like, are aware of that and have kind of offered themselves up to that in a way that makes it so, like... Yeah, I don't know. You you can absolutely just full on critique them as art or like texts or whatever, but you can also do a lot of weird hybrid shit with them too, which I'm sure you could do with other stuff. But I think it's just sure. easier with games. How did Uppercut happen? Walk me through the blog you started in 2017 to the site you're running today. Okay, so yeah, in like August of 2017, I launched. Uh, your geeky gal pal which was yeah like a critical site but it was mostly focused on like queer stuff and games and like still trying not highlight marginalized folks or whatever um and then <clears throat> I did that by myself for a while um and then I think the following year in like November I Oh, no, Andrew will get mad at me. Andrew was the first person that I asked to help me. I have a question from Andrew about (laughs) the first person you brought on board and why they're your favorite. He's not my favorite. I don't have favorites. (laughs) I love all of my uh, staff equally. Um, But, yeah, Andrew was the first person because I was making the uh, Games You Might Have Missed videos, which are these little videos that I, like, taught myself to do, like, super basic video editing on um, to highlight, like, indie games that I was finding on, like, itch and stuff. Uh, But I hate video editing, and I didn't want to do it anymore. So I asked Andrew if he wanted to help me, and he said yes. And then a little bit after that... uh, I decided I wanted to do a podcast through the site, so I brought it up to Jess, and um, she was down, and then we also had both just very recently met Monty, but both of us really liked her and thought Mm -hmm. she had, you know, like, a cool perspective, so we asked her if she wanted to be on it, and she said yes, and then we just kind of went from there, Um, and then as we were going, like, I was changing my pronouns, and so then people were like, it's kind of weird 
like, not weird, but people were like, are you going to change it just because, like, it seems like you're maybe not identifying with that name as much? And I was like, yeah, probably. And then, too, it just, like, people kind of associated it only with me, and we wanted it to be more of, like, an outlet as opposed to a blog and, like, more of, like, a group thing that was all of us. Uh, So we decided we wanted to do the rebrand, and then it just timed out well where we had our, um, what's it called? We had our, like, pride package go out, and that was, like, the last thing we did as uh, your geeky gal pal. And we had some, like, cool freelancers on there, like, uh, Amy Hart and, like, Ken were on there. Oh, wow. And so then that was, like, the last thing we did as YGGP, and then we did the rebrand and brought Kayla on, and that was, like, our big, like, thing. was, like, hey, we're we're uppercut now, and also Kayla works with us, and... How do you, how did you end up meeting the staff of Uppercut? Uh, so I actually met pretty much all of them through Twitter. Uh, okay. Yeah. We used to like, we, we were, ugh. we were all fans of kind of funny at one point. Um, and we just kind of like met through just like ending up becoming mutuals on Twitter. Um, I was actually in love with Jess for a long time and then I found out <laughs> she was married and I was like, mm. <laughs> Now I have to grudgingly like this man. Uh, <laughs> and have him be my first hire for yes, my blog. And I think God, what else is he? He's like, what does he call himself? Like the vice president or something? Or the like the, <laughs> the substitute vice president? I don't remember. He has a bunch of titles, apparently. Um, but yeah, so that was... we, And then we all just met through Twitter. Uh, most of it was thirst following, actually. All of the... Interesting. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, we're just a big dumb gay outlet, so. You don't hear a lot about, like, thirst following leading to, like, colleagues in business or, like, coworkers. Yeah, no, I think all of, like, the femme people in our staff have had crushes on each other at some point. <laughs> sure. And we've all just told each other, we've all just been like, yeah, it's a thing. <laughs> you, uh, you mentioned, like, everyone there having been fans of Kinda Funny at one point, and I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know a ton about Kinda Funny in definitely recent years but like i I guess i do know about their community or Mm -hmm. you know their stable of fans that are very passionate Mm -hmm. is that something that influenced uppercut in any way because you know i I pop in on your all's twitch streams a lot and it seems Mm -hmm. like everyone knows each other and is talking Mm -hmm. in the chat to each other like was that an influence at all i think so because i mean like a lot of the people who did like a lot of the people who have followed us from the start either followed us because they knew us from that community or on the complete other end we just like happened to be like a tiny queer outlet that they stumbled onto and they were into it um Mm -hmm. that's kind of like our core fan base um sure and so like i think based on that like a lot of people did already kind of know each other but we do like work pretty hard and pride ourselves on having like a really friendly and like welcoming community so like whenever people show up you know we have like I mean it's it's getting to be a bigger server but we definitely have like active like regulars and they're very good about like if someone joins the server there's always someone there who's not even staff who will you know say hey and welcome and like make sure that you know somebody said hi to them or whatever and everybody's really good about the rules and stuff so I think about that a lot in terms of, like, a community, especially based on, like, an indie organization or an indie project. Like, how do you how do you make sure that happens or you facilitate something like that? Is it hard? Is it something you're always thinking about? It is something that we definitely think about a lot. I think, like, part of it is, um, this is, I don't know, this is maybe going to sound silly, but I think part of, like, 
me branding myself as someone who like doesn't put up with bullshit has helped a lot because (laughs) I don't think people are like ready to enter my space and not deal with me if that makes sense um and we're also good about you know sticking to what we say like if people are breaking the rules or we have a rule of like if we find out that you're being abusive or shitty like even outside of the space like we're not going to keep you and we do really Mm -hmm. stick to that and you know we encourage people to like tell us like hey you know, if you have anything come up, like, please let us know. And we'll, like, we're looking to take care of the community first. So, like, you know, let us know and all that. Um, and, yeah, we just do our best. But we, we do think about it a lot because we don't want to be, like, a community of shitheads or anything, you know. Sure. It's it's weird to, I think, talk about something like community and then directly relate it to something like traffic or whatnot. But as your community yeah. has grown, have you also seen more people be interested in like consuming streams or written stuff that you all are putting out i think yeah i think like our our like regular people definitely do um like read our stuff like when we share it we have like a little channel where we like share Mm -hmm. stuff that gets posted during the day or whatever and like people will you know talk to us about it and respond to it and um our streams are usually like where like probably one of our bigger like I guess community numbers things like people really do seem to like hanging out and just like engaging with us in that way um which is really fun and I think part of that was because we did get pretty big into it during uh the beginning of quarantine just because people were you know kind of sad vibes um but it's yeah it's I think it's something where it's like we know that there are people who are engaging with us even if it's maybe not translating into like huge numbers Um, But we have, like, people who are at least, like, active with us, I guess. I guess, like, you all at Uppercut on social feeds are very, like, public and very interactive. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, you all tweet a lot, I guess is what I'm saying. But, like, what do you think it is about that crew that specifically attracts people? Like, building a community is fucking hard, you know? Yeah. Like, what do you think it is that makes people want to engage with Uppercut so much? I think it's, like, I mean... (sighs) The short answer is I don't really know because I do just kind of figure shit out as I go. <laughs> sure. Um, I think the the more kind of thought out answer is I think like we all just have really good chemistry with each other and we're all mm. pretty good about like, I don't know, we're all pretty good about being on social media and I think like being friendly without necessarily like encouraging people to be like parasocial with us. Um, oh, sure. You know, like we're not like, I don't think... The people who we're friends with in our Discord server, I think we're genuinely friends with. And, like, it's it's stuff where, like, yeah, like, we're friendly and we're nice and we try to make the space around us friendly and nice, usually unless we're yelling at people, which does happen. Um, But I think people just kind of like our our vibes, I guess, and just want to hang out. And I think we also do a good job of, yeah, just trying to be real people but also having that like appropriate boundary yeah. i guess of where yeah i wanted to ask about that you brought up parasocial relationships like is that something you also think about like making sure a line is drawn in the sand because it's i feel like any writer on the internet has had people be a little too comfortable with them if that makes sense you know mm-hmm. yeah i think about it a lot just because like we are like friends with a lot of the people who yeah you know, follow us and stuff, or, like, we're at least friendly, um, and so it, it is weird, I don't want to foster, like, unhealthy stuff, but I don't want to be a jerk either, 
Um, sure. So yeah, it's something I think about a lot. But I think so far we've found a pretty good balance. I haven't really had too many instances of people being like super weird. So mm-hmm. that's good at least. But for you as a writer, what like what do you think Uppercut affords you? Like you know you you're you run the thing. So <laughs> like what what do you get to do with your writing and Uppercut that maybe you would don't experience at other sites you freelance for or don't think you might have if you had a more traditional path without Uppercut? Um. Well, I'm very lucky with freelancing because I do have a lot of editors who are willing to indulge me for some reason. But um, <laughs> sure. Uppercut, abs- I can do whatever I want. Like, I, I'm, we are a democracy and like we talk about our content plan and stuff like that. Um, and I tell, I tell them like what I want to write or like when I have an idea or whatever. But yeah, there's really not any limits other than like, me being like, hey, I have this idea, is it bonkers or not? And then them telling me, and usually it's fine. Usually, like, and people, I guess that's the other thing that people like about us is we're all just, like, pretty honestly on our bullshit. And I think, like, (laughs) and, like, doing that kind of stuff is where I tend to shine a lot. Like, when I'm writing about, like, I don't know, like, Neopets or whatever, like, that's just me getting to do like exactly what I'm passionate about at the moment. And I think that just like allows me to kind of bring my best to it. Um, Mm. And I think that's compelling to a lot of folks too, I guess. Old heads out there will remember (laughs) when everyone had a blog and that's certainly not the case these days, but like, do you think there's an inherent value in a writer just having an outlet where they can do basically whatever they want? Yes. Yes. Like I, uh, I am very much, like, a strong advocate for having, like, limits placed on, like, your products a lot of the time, because I do think, like, a lot of the times if you're forced to work within a scope, I think it can make stuff better, and I think, like, the games industry as a whole has a real dearth of, like, strong editors and also editors who actually have the time to do shit that they want to do, and I think a lot of, like, every writer deserves a good editor, but also, like, I think a lot of people get writer's block and stuff, because, like, you're not indulging in your bullshit, you know? Like, whenever Mm -hmm. I get, like, really stuck on stuff, I just try to, like, find the goofy shit I like in whatever, whether it's, like, TV or movies or games or whatever, and then that usually kind of, like, gets it going again, and I think that's kind of the purpose of a blog. Like, you just throw whatever out there, and then it doesn't matter, you know? You're not trying to make money off of it. Sure. I mean, this is, like, a inside baseball question, but do the members of uppercut see some kind of like monetary mm-hmm. okay that's awesome like because yeah. i know you all pay freelancers but do you all make sure you're yeah. all compensated so we as are, well so technically like business businessy wise or whatever i'm the like sole proprietor or whatever just because it's easier with like <clears throat> tax mumbo jumbo but yeah. we're like a co-op or a collective or whatever so we all take uh 15 of our monthly patreon earnings um mm-hmm. at and then, like, and that's, you know, for us. And then we also uh, pay out, you know, for our monthly freelancer, for hosting, for our podcasts, for uh, the art, for our theme weeks. Um, there's something else that I can't remember off the top of my head right now. Um, and then the rest we just kind of save for, like, operating costs. But, yeah. Do you all, do any of you have a business and background? Or a background in business? Oh, no. 
Okay, so I was looking at your masthead earlier to look something up, and you know, I was reading through the roles and everything, and hearing you talk about it right now, like uppercut is extremely professional. Like in terms of, you know, your roles and your titles and everything. And you're talking about your taxes and the sole proprietor. And like, for example, like when I launched my other podcast game query, like we're idiots. Like we would have never thought about having a PR coordinator. Like yeah. how can you tell me how you built out the site's roles? So we seem a lot more put together than we are. I truly <laughs> sure. don't know what I'm doing as an EIC. And I've had multiple conversations with some uh, older more like mentor figure friends who are like, yeah. you know, you're doing stuff like that EICs don't do, right? And I'm like, well, I don't really know what I'm doing, number one. And number two, some of the <laughs> things that, because uh, like we were talking about like the, oh, the role of the EIC versus the role of the managing editor. Because um, Jess and I are kind of always in conversation figuring out who's doing what and like, you know, what we want to prioritize, mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. And there are just things where like, there are things that technically an EIC shouldn't do, like coordinating with the writers and like handling the majority of the edits. Like, yeah, I want to do those things though. And I don't want to do the like planning and taking notes and all that stuff. It just loves that. So I'm like, yeah, we kind of mix and match our like roles as needed. <laughs> but like also yeah. to the PR thing originally kind of came from someone coming to us um, our, we had a different PR coordinator, uh, Chris Compendio, and they kind of came to us and wanted to do that because they wanted to get some experience uh, in that realm. And uh, we were, you know, swamps. We were like, yeah, totally. Like, if you, if you want to handle codes and stuff, like, dope. Um, and mm. then when we parted ways with them, um, Kayla kind of said, like, hey, I kind of want to give it a try. Um, and so we're... That's the other part about it being ours is, you know, we can all kind of do whatever we want. And so we said, like, yeah, if you want to try it, try it. Um, and so far, it's been really good. But, yeah, it's just kind of like realizing, like, the, the holes that we have and trying to fill them as best we can. Uppercut is none of your all's, like, full-time thing, right? Oh, no. I wish, but no. Yeah. How do you, well, how do you balance, like, your other freelance work or any day jobs you all might have with also running a site, which is a shit ton of work? It is. Uh, well, I'm a workaholic, so that helps. Um, yeah. Also, between the five of us, we we can, you know, kind of split stuff or be flexible. Um, I'm also really lucky because my day job is, like, super, super flexible as long as I get all my work done. Um, mm -hmm. So I can kind of wiggle with that, especially now that we're on um, work from home. Mm -hmm. um, and that's been, like, a whole thing, too, is, like, all of us do have day jobs, but three of us didn't for often on periods during the pandemic just because of you know stuff being opened or closed um mm -hmm. so we're kind of able to shift around the work based on you know who has the most bandwidth um but yeah also i'm just a major major workaholic so that's just i'll just do it forever <laughs> does anyone at uppercut ever try to get you to work less oh yeah site? all the time they all try they can't stop me but they all do try <laughs> well is that advice you feel like you should take oh or you yeah want absolutely 100 percent. Yeah. yes i just can't i'm i'm trying they make fun of me because every time i'm like i'm gonna take a break and i always try to hit a week and i never make it um but i'm getting closer i get like three <laughs> days then i'll get like four yeah. so i'm like i'm getting there 
Um, I mean, is that uppercut specific? You feel like you're a workaholic for, or is that kind of like all facets? Oh no, of your it's life? just my life in general. Like sure. if and it, it like if there's anything about work that I find like fulfilling or like good, like I just will go nuts with it. Um, so it's yeah. Well, in that case. What's the most, like, what are the things about Uppercut that are fulfilling for you? Well, I really, really love editing. So getting to do that Mm -hmm. with Jess and, like, the other people who write, especially, like, getting to do it with the freelancers is really, really, like, fun for me. Um, And then, too, just knowing that we are getting to help people to degrees, you know, like, we are offering people spots to you know, start building their portfolios and stuff like that yeah. and put out some work that they might not be able to put at other outlets. Um, that kind of stuff really, really rules. And then, you know, we do talk about indie games. I know that's always a like discourse, mm. but like our site is deeply rooted in yeah. covering indie games. And like, I, a lot of people have told us like, Hey, like I play these now more because of listening to y'all. So like, that's fulfilling to me is like, Hey, like if 10 people play more indie games, like, I did something, you know? Um, sure. Did you have any sites, like, for you coming up that was what Uppercut kind of serves for other people, like a place to, you know, build your portfolio or have your first few pieces run on? So for me, um, the first site that, well, so the first thing I ever wrote about video games was actually for a local uh, magazine that I freelance for. Um, oh, that rules. But did then, they pay at least? Sorry? Did the local magazine pay? Yeah, but not much. <laughs> but still, that rules. Yeah. I love like that's like the that's like the most awesome origin stories. People finding like local holes to fill with video yeah. game stories. It was literally like I was freelancing for this like queer magazine in Denver, and they were like, they knew I liked games, so finally they were like, "Hey, do you do you want to try it?" And I was like, "Yeah, let's do it." So my first video game piece ever was actually me interviewing Sweary about the missing. Um, oh wow that's not a bad first piece it was not a bad one no it was cool (laughs) um it's a little bit of a bummer how his whole deal has turned out since then but sure you know whatever um so i did that and then i think probably the two sites like where i really started to get a start were definitely into the spine with um the persona piece i did for them um shout Mm -hmm. out to diego he fucking rules um and then uh gaming magazine took one of my okay. took my first interview feature i think after my sweary one so that's awesome what was what were those specific pieces for into the spine and gaming uh so into the spine i wrote about how uh personas like conservative values are actually what shapes the problematic shit in it and not the fact mm. that like japan is just inherently shitty um okay i remember this now yeah yeah um, and then for gaming, I wrote about, uh, people who started, like, figuring out their gender or sexuality through video games. Were, were you able to jump to bigger sites or did you do Uppercut for a while? Cause I know you're at GameSpot now, but like, mm-hmm. how did that kind of transition go for you? Uh, well, so I, I was doing Uppercut pretty much the whole time. And then I, okay. I, I think Uppercut is what got Diego to notice me originally Cause, um, like right before I went to PAX East last year, um, I put out a tweet saying like, Hey, I'm looking for some switch games for my flight. 
And it was literally the first time he and I ever talked, and he was, like, recommending me games, and I was like, I can't play that game because it's hard, and I'm baby. And then he DM'd me, and he was like, hey, like, we're doing this freelancer Discord. Do you want to, like, or I have this freelancer Discord. Do you want to hang out? And I was like, oh, I don't know what about that conversation <laughs> was, like, this person's ready. But, um, yeah, and so, like, honestly, being in there and being in that community really helped me, you know, jump to bigger sites like they were like having people always there to help me with pitches and stuff like that and then I ended up I think the next place I went to after gaming that was pretty big was Fanbyte okay I think I think it was Fanbyte and then Dicebreaker and Bloody Disgusting is in there too I guess I've written for a lot of places now (laughs) sure uh Stefan and Riley wants to know where the name Uppercut come from and what's your favorite piece published so far? Uh, I think they mean specifically on Uppercut, but I'm going to open it up to all outlets. Okay. Um, uppercut came from when we were doing the rebrand. We could not figure out a name. And then I don't remember what happened. I think I was listening to a Waypoint radio and they were talking about... I think it was one of the ones that Danielle was still on and they were talking about MMA and I heard her, I, th- I think I heard her say the word uppercut and I thought about it for a minute and I was like, that would be really sick. And so I like sure. texted her group chat and I was like, what do we think of uppercut? And all of them were like, oh shit, that's the name. Um, so once again, just kind of us falling into it, but yeah, <laughs> yeah we had a really hard time. Like we could not think of anything. Um, what were some of the names you all threw around that didn't leave uh, the cutting room floor? God, I don't even remember. I think... Uh, I'm trying to think. I genuinely don't remember any of them. None of them were good. Like, they were all <laughs> sure. just, like, us throwing shit at the wall, and none of it was good. So what about uh, Stefan's second question? What's your favorite piece published so far? Um, I think my favorite piece of mine is probably still my monster fucking listicle just because it's like very funny and i really live for the fact that i like got to do that in the year of our lord 2020 on valentine's day no less um (laughs) fan bite right yeah was my first fan bite piece (laughs) and i had pitched poor steven i sent them like a hundred pitches before that and that was the one that (laughs) finally kicked their door down (laughs) Like, you kind of, like, really owned that monster fucking brand. I noticed it's in, like, your Twitter bio, too. Mm -hmm. But did you get a lot of, like, positive feedback from that article? Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, a lot of of people were, like, really taken with the novelty of it, I guess. And a lot of... I feel like a lot of people don't realize that you can just, like... You could just be a monster fucker on Maine. Because, like, a lot of people are. (laughs) It's, like, I feel like it's something that people were, like, oh, this is kind of weird. I don't know. But then, like... A lot of people are, especially, like, a lot of queer people are. Also, yeah. like, a lot of gamers are, because, like, look at video games. There's a lot of monster ladies and a lot of monster yeah. men. Yeah. And probably I, a lot of you, lo- monster thems, too. I don't know. <laughs> I've seen you tweeting a lot about a new article you want to write that maybe will usurp as your favorite one about Battletoads making you gay. Can you talk do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so the funniest part about that is I actually in the pitch to Steven about that monster fucking article, I actually led with that, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Um but yeah, no, so the so Battletoads was on the SNES, which was my right. first console. And when I was a kid, uh there used to be a 
like actually not GameStop, like just mom and pop game store by my house. Um, so we would go there and like every once in a while, like my dad would take me and we would go buy, uh, like a, a an SNES cartridge. Um, and so I saw Battletoads and it looked like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and that uh, was all the information I processed from that. So my dad <laughs> right. bought it for me <laughs> and then we would play and, uh, the Dark Sorceress, um, is... A lot. She's a lot, and... Oh, wow. Yeah, she's very much my type, because I've had the same type since I was, like, fucking six years old, which is just <laughs> the worst. Um, and, yeah, so that's that's that. Are you pitching that around? That sounds like... That, I would definitely read that. <laughs> I, I need to. A bunch of people have yelled at me to pitch it, so I need to, like, actually make a pitch out of that, other than just, like, isn't this a fun <laughs> story? Yeah. So Uppercut's tagline is punching up, which is a term that definitely carries some weight. Um, I think good weight. I agree with the concept of punching up, but it's certainly a statement. Mm -hmm. Um, Nevertheless, can you tell me a little bit about that and what punching up means to Uppercut as an organization? Yeah. So we, I mean, I guess the goal of the site, even before it was Uppercut, was always just like wanting to be critical of games and call shit out. Originally sure. it was supposed to be like through more of a queer lens, but now, I mean, we kind of branch out cause like most of us are queer. So our lens is always queer mm-hmm. pretty much. is how we figure it on that. Unless it's Andrew. Um, he gets no queer points, but <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> um, like, I think it just kind of became important that like, as we were an out becoming more of like, I guess an outlet and trying to take up more of a space in the industry, like just saying like, Hey, it is important to us to like, not necessarily engage in the kind of positivity that's not critical or that's not like, yeah, like not like, like we are going to talk shit about Bobby Kotick. Like we just did a podcast where I said, fuck Neil Druckmann and fuck Cory Barlog within like 15 minutes. And, like, we're not sure. going to not say those things because, like, we stand by them and also, but we're also not going to be, like, assholes about it. Like, we have reasons to feel the way that we do and, like, we can back up those convictions. Um, yeah. And so that's kind of the thing is, like, you know, punching above our weight class to kind of point shit out and kind of say, like, hey, if we can do it, you can do it too. This is something I I kind of go back and forth on in my mind. Like, what because like inherently game journalism is kind of dumb like we write book reports about children's (laughs) toys but like you know like if you're gonna attach the name journalism to it you have to be a journalist and yeah i always go back and forth on like uh, what sites need to punch up or need to hold accountable versus Mm -hmm. serving what they do serve which is this like you know product of a marketing arm I, I don't know. What do you think about that? Like, is it important for every site to also do that? Or is there room for both to exist? I th- My thought on that is that I think eventually both could exist. Mm. But I think right now, until, like, our industry is a fucking nightmare. Like, sure. between the labor shit with us and with game devs, like with all of the sexual harassment and misconduct stuff, once again, between us and game devs, like there's like all the racism, like there's just so much like awful shit permeating our industry that I think like 
yeah, I want to be able to say, like, hey, the toy is fun and this is how it plays. But, like, I also want to be able to, you know, like, point out that shit. And, like, I feel like our current culture is still kind of clinging to that enthusiast press shit. And I think until that gets let go, we can't really move forward. And I think we can come back to that. But, like, I think you need to build to that as opposed to starting there, if that makes sense, I guess. Yeah, I don't... I don't ever know exactly where I fall on it, where it's like, I do agree with you wholeheartedly, mm-hmm. but it's also like, is it IGN, is IGN going to turn around tomorrow and be the most hard hitting Yeah, like, well, and that's the thing too, is like, I guess I don't industry. expect them to. I guess sure, my thing yeah. is more of like, if you're big and you're not going to say anything, like lift the people who are, you know? Yeah. Like, cause all, yeah. like, cause a lot, like we're like, Uppercut is friends with a lot of folks who work at IGN, right? And so, like, we've had the conversation of, like, oh, well, if you're being critical of these companies, like, are you taking shots at your friends? And it's like, well, that's a hard question. And, like, we don't mean to be shooting at our friends. But, like, I don't know. I guess where do you draw the line on being complicit? But also, at the end of the day, like, we live, you know, in a capitalist society. And, like, if people want to do this, they got to, you know. Sure workplaces so i don't know it's hard but like it also doesn't take much for like ign to retweet someone you know what i mean or like yeah shit like I, that i think it's i think it's also hard to deny how bad the optics of something like the ubisoft allegations coming mm-hmm. out and then the next week you know they do a live stream well we have to cover the live stream and the allegations are kind of not talked about when we're doing our live stream reactions or whatever yeah. there's a sentence at the end of a news story with a hyperlink like yeah it's it's all a mess yeah it's hard and it's like yeah and it's it's a thing too though that we're, we've talked about there's been like discourse too with like if you're critically talking about a game like do you always have to mention the labor conditions it was made under oh sure and like yeah i don't know um I want to say yes, but also, like, I don't know that I talked about the crunch for The Last of Us when I did my review of it. Um, yeah, well, it's like if if you don't separate the art from how it's made, like, it opens up such... You have to start examining a lot of different things yeah. and people that contributed to art across any medium, you know? Yeah. It's like a very well, also, weird like, conversation. I don't know. This is maybe a cop-out on my part, but I feel like if I'm writing about a triple a game like i feel like like i know it was made with crunch like i know it was made with shitty labor conditions and if you know who i am i kind of assume that you know that i know that as well but Mm. i mean that's the thing too though if you're writing like on a big site not everybody's gonna know you um so that's the thing that's hard and i don't know i wish it was easier to just kind of put that stuff out there of like here's who i am as a critic or a reviewer or a journalist or whatever and like you know have your little baseball yeah. card or whatever, but are these things you all talk about at Uppercut when you all are, you know, thinking about how you're going to cover something? Yeah, I think it ends up we end up being a little bit more reactive than we probably should be, and that's a hundred percent on mm. me. Because um, a lot of the time, like I am the person who has like a thought or a feeling or an impulse <laughs> sure. and just kind of like does something. Yeah. Um, but we have had those conversations, and I'm trying to be better about like being a little bit more thoughtful before I do or say things. Um, 
but also trying to curb that into not like not holding back because we're afraid but just you know asking ourselves does this need to be highlighted does it need to be talked about like do you need to spend the energy on it that kind of stuff um and it's definitely something yeah. i'm working on but sure one of the um I, I, I feel like central tenets of Uppercut is, and I, I'm paraphrasing slightly from your all's about page, but highlighting marginalized voices and great criticism by having a diverse staff, but also by bringing on and spotlighting other voices that are often pushed to the margins in mainstream games and media sites. Uh, in the game press, can you tell me about, especially, I guess now, the importance of amplifying those voices for you? Or just in general, I should say. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think recent events are kind of a good highlight for it, right? Because, like, mm-hmm. so we recently had all the protests and the um, right. the murder of George Floyd. And, like, obviously those protests are still continuing. Um, but a lot of outlets and stuff did kind of make the whole Black Lives Matter pledge. We're going to start working with black creators more and be more um, thoughtful about it. And that's great, but a lot of folks have also been pointing out, like, are you still doing that? Or is it, was it something that you said for, like, Twitter cloud or whatever? And that's Mm -hmm. kind of been the point of Uppercut and, like, why we have that part saying, like, we're going to bring on other voices. Because, like, no matter what we do, our staff's never going to be perfect, right? Like, we're never going to have somebody who everybody can identify with. But by having freelancers and by prioritizing different voices and by like creating an environment where people feel comfortable coming to us because that's the thing too right like the whole Kuchera thing lately right is like all these marginalized writers have felt like shit on by this person and it's like we meanwhile have like a solid track record with our writers like I don't think there Mm -hmm. are any writers who have like beef with how we've dealt with them you know like we pay everybody our edits I don't think are bad. They're usually like, you know, solid. We're also very kind. We respond to everybody. Um, like mm. every single pitch that goes to Uppercut gets a response. Um, like no one gets left hanging. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it's just important to like make sure that you're, you know, walking the walk because otherwise nothing's going to change. Sure. I, I realize I am asking this as a straight white guy, but (laughs) when I look at sites like Uppercut and Into the Spine and gaming, like it's abundantly clear that there are these diverse voices in games that are writing and want to write. Mm -hmm. But then you look at X site or Y site without naming names and you you don't see those names pop up. And I'm curious for you, you know, running a site like Uppercut, Mm -hmm. why do you think that may be? Well, I think it's, like, so it ties into something that happened really recently, right? Like, there's been a controversy lately with a Polygon article, and um, a lot of freelancers are talking about the experiences that they've had with a certain editor there. Um, And a lot of conversation is coming up about the fact that, you know, these outlets look for marginalized folks and then kind of feed them to a machine that shreds them to a degree. Um, And I think that's true. Like, a lot of, like, you can say you know, diverse people apply all you want, but if you're not creating conditions that make it safe and comfortable and worthwhile for them to do that, there's no reason that they're going to. And, you know, that ties into a bunch of things, like, with before the pandemic, you know, it was remote work, um, and there's always the thing of, like, you know, who can afford to freelance? But it also comes into, too, just, like, yeah, who, who are you 
asking and also like are you doing your best to make your outlet actually welcome for these people once you have them in the door um and i think a lot of places you know think that just having the space is enough and it's not you have to be conscious about you know how you're treating people and how you're making them feel and if you're making them feel safe with you you know or how they'll be treated by that side yeah yeah especially like we like i mean we all get hate for shit and like I have a sure. probably a skewed perspective on it because I honestly just, like, mute stuff, so I don't even see half of the things. Like, apparently mm-hmm. I was being attacked, like, this weekend. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I had no clue. <laughs> yeah. <Wow. laughs> um, I got them good Twitter settings, I guess. Um, I don't know. But, sure. like, yeah, like, you are responsible for, you know, thinking about, like, how an audience is going to take things. And past a certain point, like, yeah, shitheads are going to be shitheads, but, like, it is up to you to kind of mitigate that. And part of that, too, even comes into, like, I think a lot of sites think that, like, you have to let everybody have a say. And, like, you don't. Uppercut is mine. I delete any comments I don't want on my site. If someone's talking shit about a writer, that comment's not staying. Like, I'm not putting Mm -hmm. people through that. I guess that that gets kind of back to the community thing we were talking about, right? Like, a business is going to let... Yelp is going to let any review stay up. A community, you yeah. know, a neighborhood community is going to pick out the bad apples. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's a weird Well, metaphor, and I think that's the thing, right? Is like being, and, and part of it is being so small, right? Like we self mod. We don't even really have, we do have Twitch mods, but we don't really have like community, like Discord server mods or anything. Like we kind of handle all of that. Yeah. Um, so that does give us an advantage in that, you know, we can be really agile and deal with that but you do like if you want to cure a a community and not just like a group of people with a shared hobby like you really do have to do that curation work um and i think a lot Mm -hmm. of big sites like one don't want to deal with it because obviously they have huge audiences but two i mean like if you're curating people that means you are pruning some which means you're losing out on potential audience members but it comes down to asking you know like who do you want i mean if someone is listening from a bigger site or a site that maybe has these issues, mm-hmm. how do you advise them to improve something like that? I mean, get rid of the comment sections, honestly. Cause like, again, like I feel like, I feel like sure. people think that like IGN is like a public utility and it's not, it's a private <laughs> business. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if it's publicly traded yeah. or whatever, but like it's a corporation, like you can do whatever you want. And so, like, you don't have to, like, like, it's not First Amendment shit. Like, you don't have to let everybody have a say. And, like, as a writer, and, like, I'm sure you know, too, like, people do look at their own comments, even though they know it's going to suck. Oh, yeah. And so, like, sometimes, like, your job as an editor is to protect your writers from themselves. And that means, like, if you know, like, you're putting up a shit storm, like, you monitor the comments. If, like, you know they're going to be attacked, like, you should be checking on them. And also, you should be making sure that the work they put out is as, like, flawless as it can be. Because, like, if people can find holes in it, like, that's another thing they're going to come at them for. Like, I don't want to act like writers are children, because we're not. But, like, when you're an editor, like, it is your responsibility to take care of the person that you're working with, you know? Yeah, I I guess, like, in, I'm sure there's some metric that explains like audience retention rates and comments Mm -hmm. you know people are going to want to click on articles if they can talk about it or whatever the hell but like in 2020 when there's things like reddit and reset era and Mm -hmm. however many different forums people can go to it's like 
is, is are that many people going to not click on an article because they can't leave a comment under it because chances are it feels like they're just going to post it on reddit anyway to have those conversations you know yeah like those conversations are going to happen regardless because you know most of the shit that gets flung our way doesn't even get happened to us in our comments it happens on twitter um so or like you know we'll get put on like the like the kotaku in action subreddit or whatever um like it's not usually our comments like we do get some nasty comments but that's just really like people deciding they're going to go out of their way to be an asshole by like making an account on the site so they can comment yeah which then it's like okay i can just delete it is the thing (laughs) yeah and when you see it on a big site it's almost like it's like this weird the calls coming from inside the house type thing like if i saw Mm -hmm. someone being mean to me not to imply i go to this website because i don't think i've ever been to 4chan but if someone's saying bad things about me on 4chan I'm not going to mind. But, like, if someone is, like, on Polygon saying hateful things about me, it's going to feel more personal because that's where my work is housed, you know? So it feels yeah. important that Uppercut, like, nips that in the bud on its own site. Yeah. No, we don't allow any of that shit. Like, we had some... One of our pieces went up and people were, like, being really aggressive and rude about, like, how the writer looked. And I was like, no. Jesus Christ. That's, like, yeah. not... No, we're not doing that. Um, yeah. And it, yeah, because it's not it's not free speech. It's my website, so. Sure. Along with Uppercut, what are some sites you would shout out for people who are seeking out, you know, reading more marginalized or diverse voices, you know, speaking and writing about games? Yeah, so um, I guess it depends on what you're into. Um, into the Spine, definitely, just for everything. They're doing great stuff, yeah. and it seems like they've been ramping up a lot lately, which is killer. Yeah. Uh, Bullet Points is dope. I love Yousef, and they do a mm-hmm. lot of really cool stuff. Honestly, y'all's Game Query zine is very cool. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm going to uh, talk with them soon, hopefully, but um, there is a zine called Indie Apocalypse that is all about okay. indie games that features um, like reviews and stuff of them, and it's not like time-sensitive. Um, that slaps... Uh, mm-hmm. let's see. If you like more, like, fun, kind of funky shitposty stuff, like, Fanbyte, definitely for that. And then, yeah. uh, if you want more, like, crit stuff, Unwinnable is very cool. Also, like, just Dealicina is, like, she has her own personal Patreon where she's doing a lot of, like, essays and Let's Plays and stuff, and that's very cool. Uh, also, it's not written, but Abnormal Mapping is, like, a very rad network overall, but mm. also just, like, they have, a like, a Critical Game Club podcast that's very cool. That's, like, their core podcast. Um, yeah. yeah, that's everything I can think of off the top of my head right now. But we also have a, a link to a list of uh, other outlets that are kind of like us on our site. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Awesome. It's just a Google Doc, but... Sure. <laughs> the last <laughs> thing I, I really want to dissect with you here is i don't know maybe let me know if i'm wrong here but it feels like the thing that maybe brought uppercut the most attention that it's had Mm -hmm. which was your all's egm fund um so in april of last year egm announced it was shifting directions specifically it was ending its daily features that it was doing which were mostly um the vast majority written by freelancers and it killed all the ones it had in the pipeline Mm -hmm. and there's a lot you could say in regards to egm and specifically that, you know, recent relaunch and new in- incarnation they tried to do. Yeah, because what um, happened, it was like EGM restarted in 2019. 
Yeah, I think so. Um, and then the, they closed in 2020. Well, they're still around. I, or, I, 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 real, I needed to look up the date they shifted to not daily features anymore. So I went to EGM now today for the first time in many months mm-hmm. and got very sad to see what's going on there. Um, but they, they're still kicking. I think EGM over the course of their 30 or 40 years has shut down and reopened numerous, numerous times as the owner has sold and rebought his own magazine uh, <laughs> more times than anyone can count. But um, there's better podcasts about that on the Internet. But um, what I want to talk about is specifically what you all did, because I think it is it was awesome to see it happen. And something, you know, I think that should be like celebrated for sure what you all did and that was set up a gofundme to try to raise money and give these pieces a new paid home under uppercut um and i guess like correct me if i'm wrong but they were pieces in kind of all forms of completion right some completed some still being reported out yeah so what we ended up doing just because we ended up with so much extra money was yeah. uh we we did say like hey if you were pitching like and you were in the, like if they had said like yeah we're gonna take the pitch but or mm-hmm. you were in the process of pitching when it shut down we'll go ahead and take that too um okay. and so yeah we had pieces that were like fully drafted ready to go they just needed edits we had mm-hmm. pieces that like had been through full edits with the egm editors um and then we had some that were just pitches and some that were you know kind of more half-baked can you tell me like why you all decided to do that i feel like people like think this story is really like gonna be a big thing and it's really not it was just like i woke up one morning and saw the egm news and saw folks in the into the spine discord talking about it because i was still there at that point Mm -hmm. um and uh folks in spine were kind of talking about like oh like maybe we could see if we could like you know host some pieces on our site or or something and i was like oh okay well uppercut like tends to have like a little bit more money and we tend to have a little bit more pull so like maybe we can try rescuing some of these too um and so like i just like floated the idea like hey like would it be stepping on toes if i did this and everybody said no so then i hit up the uppercut people and i was like hey like what if we just did like a quick little like we can afford yeah. to pay four people a hundred dollars for a piece, and if other people want to like contribute to, you know, kind of set off the costs, like that would be dope. Um, and all of them were like, "Yeah, that sounds cool." And so then we made the little PayPal pool, and we just kind of said like, "Hey, we're gonna try to." Sorry, my dog is like crawling. It's fine. Um, we said something. We you know just like describe the fundraiser like, "Hey, we're gonna try to save four EGM pieces, a hundred dollars each, whatever." Um, and then it just like. It did overfund already before, but then we mm. had like another incident that kind of pushed it over the edge, and then uh, sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, your dog is having the time of their life. She's she's doing something. <laughs> you know, like um, I, I guess I said it a second ago, but I, I I do think like it does speak to you and to uppercut and your all's values because you didn't have to do that. You know, that was like an incredibly awesome thing that you all did. And I think it's something like, as long as uppercut is around, people will probably celebrate. But what I'm curious about specifically is like EGM, it's last hurrah before, you know, whatever happened. 
like it, it put out really amazing work. Like I thought they were putting out like really important work and it was one of my favorite sites when they did that for, you know, the year or so it happened, but it was like a niche site. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't necessarily in the daily conversation with a Kotaku or a Polygon or whatever. Um, but your old GoFundMe raised over $12,000, which is like a ton of money for any site, much less, you know, yeah. Uppercut, which is like an independent site that people run in their spare time. Like, what do you think it was that drew people to contributing to this fund you all started? Like, that that drew so many people, I should say, that, like, groundswell. Well, so I think the first round was people who were just genuinely, like, stoked about the idea. A lot of it was freelancers who weren't affected, and they were just really yeah. stoked and wanted to help. Uh, mm-hmm. The EGM editors, I know for a fact, Josh donated, like, $200. <laughs> Um, well, he got in a fight with Kyan about doing it at some point, right? Like they were yeah, yeah, he and Ke- yeah, he and Keen were literally like in a betting war. Um, but the so I think that was a big part of it was like a lot of people mm. were just like, "Oh, this is dope!" Like, yeah, we're excited about it, and like I think there was a big morale hit that day. So I think a lot of people were kind of looking for anything that they could grab onto that was like positive. Um, yeah. And plus, our community is really dope, and they were all very behind it as well. But then yeah. the second round of it where it got really batshit was uh, because a uh, well-known person in our space subtweeted us and sure. people lost their minds, <laughs> including yeah. me. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that kind of like a lot of people, I think, kind of spite donated, which I'm fine with. We got the money, so. <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, like, it, it sounds like. It almost sounds rude to ask, but were you surprised to see that much money come in? Oh, yeah. Sure. We we did not, like, when it, because it, it, it funded in, like, under an hour. So we were yeah. already shocked about that. Like, we did not expect that. And then just the magnitude of what ended up happening that day was, like, really, really bonkers. Yeah. I mean, I, I... I wish I knew this off the top of my head, but how many pieces were you all able to put out? Because you all are still putting them out, right? Yeah, we're going to be done this month. Um, I don't know what our final published total is going to be, just because we've had folks who have had like interview subjects drop and stuff like that. Mm. Um, But originally we were able to, our, our original roster was 48 pieces. Wow. And so I think we're going to end at a, about 44 45 wow that's incredible um you all for anyone that wants to check that stuff out you all have like an archive page of them Mm -hmm. on the website that i saw today that was really cool i recommend there's like so many great freelance writers that probably everyone already knows like just like contributing their most banger pieces onto that like uppercut egm fun page that page is like an embarrassment of riches it's so rad yeah, there's a lot of really, really cool shit in there. We got really, like, we got lucky with it, too. Like, we get to have mm-hmm. all these cool writers on our site, so. Sure. I mean, like, what is what is the EGM fund meant for Uppercut in the long term? Um, I mean, the really, really honest answer is it's mostly just meant a lot more work. <laughs> um, sure. Like, the thing that's kind of a bummer is, like, you know, with the way Twitter works, like, people care that you did the thing, not what happens after. And so like, not to say like yeah. people haven't read the the work or whatever, but they, 
you know, we have had some that have really popped off or whatever, but, you know, there's not, nothing's going to match the excitement of that day, right? Um, sure. And so that's mostly what it's been. Is it, we have gotten, like, more traffic for sure. We have gotten more Patreon pledges, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think we've just gotten more general goodwill, which rules. But, yeah, mm. overall it's just been mostly, like, a lot of editing. <laughs> sure. Well, I guess similar question, but, I mean, what's what's the future for Uppercut? What's, you know, for us to 2020 into 2021 look like? Um. Well, we're going to finish... We're going to finish our EGM summer this (laughs) month. Um, And then after that, yeah, we're just going to... I want to do fun stuff for Halloween because I just like horror and Halloween stuff. And then that's kind of like our next, I think, like project. And then it's going to be Game of the Year season. So I guess we're going to be gearing up to try to do our letter series again. Awesome. Well, Ty, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uppercut is one of my favorite sites out there right now. So this has been awesome to record. Thanks, Blake. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Please plug everything, anything and all. Okay. So if you want to find me, the person, you can follow me on Twitter at T-Y underscore G and eight R's. Uh, cause I had to just have the most unwieldy Twitter handle. <laughs> um, and then you can follow uppercut on Twitter at uppercut crit. You can find the site at uppercutcrit.com, and we have a Patreon, which is at, uh, patreon.com slash uppercut crit. And I think that's pretty much everything. Cool. Well, thank you again. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you for listening to How I Made That, and thank you to my $10 and or above patrons, Jeffrey Kieschlick, Jeremy Bull, J.V. Gwaltney, and Jill Grove. If you want to support the show on Patreon, you can do so at patreon.com slash Blake Hester. The theme song for this show is Beyond Nostalgia by 3D Blast from the album Iconic Bitch.